Hello, and welcome to Baker McKenzie's Resilience, Recovery, and Renewal podcast series, dedicated to helping your organization navigate the full continuum of the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Whether you're managing the immediate crisis, stabilizing operations, or evolving your business, this podcast will cover key insights to help strengthen your organization's capacity to respond, recover, and thrive. My name is Jennifer Northam, and I've spent over 20 years as a producer and journalist covering international business issues for leading news organizations. I'm really excited to visit a topic today that has sparked a lot of interest from our listeners. Back in June, we recorded our very first podcast in the series called The Reopening Playbook. We spoke about the gradual return to the workplace and what it means for those who are still working from home. Now, a lot has happened since then, so we thought it would be wise to bring back our experts to help us navigate through some of the issues that businesses continue to face as they reopen offices, either fully or in phases. We'll talk about some of the challenges that have cropped up and discuss what it all means for the future of work. I'm delighted to welcome back Susan Yandy, head of Baker McKenzie's Global Employment and Labor Law Practice Group for North America, and Kim Sarton. Kim is a partner in Baker McKenzie's employment and compensation team in London. She advises senior legal and HR professionals on a wide range of employment and data protection matters. Susan, if I can start with you... When we look at how companies are handling the return to the workplace, it's really been a mixed bag. Some companies have told employees they can work from home indefinitely. Others have said employees can work from home until the end of the year. Others are giving their workforce options, while others are telling employees that everyone needs to be back to the office. It's a really confusing time. What should employers consider as they navigate through all of these various options? It's a really good question, and it's a question that we are helping clients think about daily um, because you have a few different things at play. You have, depending on the industry, depending on the location, depending on what's happening in the particular jurisdiction in which the client has employees, there can be a lot of different requirements, both legal requirements and then as things are changing um, from a health and safety perspective. And so what we're advising clients to do is if you can um, pause for a moment, go back to that playbook that you started working on months ago when we first started thinking about first shutting down and reopening and really revisit what you have already put in place, your policies and procedures, and revisit them against kind of the backdrop of some laws have changed. There are new obligations and regulations vis-a-vis employees and allowing people back to work and various protections. So it's important to be aware of those. Um, And at the same time, really getting a pulse on the workforce. And so reaching out to your employees, doing surveys, which started off as kind of like, let's try it. And now I would say are are pretty well adopted um, as a means of communication and understanding how folks are doing and taking that all into account out and then just realizing and we talked about this the first time I think it's going to be iterative you have to just be prepared to be flexible to be iterative and to be communicative with your workforce because things will continue to change over time what about government guidance I mean Susan in many countries such as the U.S. governments are urging companies to get their employees back to work in order to fuel economic growth how has that been influencing an employer's decision In two ways, really, I'd say one is there is enormous pressure 
um, to get back to work as soon as possible for so many different reasons, certainly for the economic growth, but also for, frankly, the mental health of the workplace and the workforce and having the opportunity for employees to come together. The third thing is if you're in a business where uh, you have sales folks that are used to visiting customers and clients, Zoom has been great, but there is something to be said for that in-person connection. And so a lot of companies have sales teams that really want to get on the road and travel and go visit their customers and clients. So there's a lot of pressure to open and to open quickly. But again, it is counteracted by fear, by a health and safety concern. And depending upon where you are in the country and what industry you're in, that you know is going to be uh, concerning maybe on, on different levels because it really is just monitoring those um, COVID results, the, the outbreaks, the numbers that the scientists are watching to determine when is it safe. So for the employers, I'd say in a way, Nothing has changed where you continue to balance the economic necessity of the business, throw in the need to connect, which I think really has uh, manifested itself much more intensely over the last few months than anyone really thought it was going to be. We all talked about it, but wasn't really clear how that was going to um, really impact the workforces and then throw on top of that just this need to travel and then balancing the health and safety concerns. It's a continuous, again, iterative process that companies are thinking about. So just to pick up on um, something that Susan was saying about the rules constantly being iterative, I mean, I can only really emphasise that and saying, you know, employers do have a difficult time, I think, trying to keep on top of it. Only in recent weeks or days, there have been changes in the rules in Ireland, the Czech Republic, Israel, Spain, they're happening every day. And so for organisations just trying to, you know, keep on top of exactly what's happening and where I, I think is really difficult for them. Lots of them completely understandably are trying to manage the we need to keep our business going risk against the, you know, the, the safety first risk. And they've got all these competing pressures. Speaking about people coming to work, working from home, I mean, the last time we spoke, there was a point that was made that's really kind of stayed with me. We spoke about the companies who are giving their employees that option to come to work or to stay home and to continue to work from home. Uh, We talked about what it meant for pay equality and career progression. Are those who stayed home just less visible? I mean, Kim, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I think that there is a, a real risk with that. I mean, on the upside, I do think that there's a growing awareness of the challenges of this sort of hybrid workplace. So at least in that sense, I think the narrative has moved on. And so employers are becoming more alive to the issues. There are different aspects to that, though. So I think first, there are those structural issues. So for example, is the organisation going to be paying people differently if they work remotely versus in the office? And how does that play into the equality narrative? Um, And related to that, I think there's sort of a more practical and recognition aspect of that which is those who are present are they going to be rated as more effective in their organization and does that going to have a knock-on effect on promotion and pay so I think employers are going to have to do quite a lot of thinking around that about their evaluation processes to make sure they work in a this you know hybrid environment if that's what they have um, but also thinking about perhaps you know six 12 months down the line if they are operating in this different way running some data analysis I think that would be really interesting just to see actually is there some bias in there not just you know looking through the usual lenses perhaps from a race or a gender perspective 
But looking on a remote versus physical presence dimension, I think that would be really interesting. Susan, do you want to add to that? Other than I totally agree um, that I think as this continues, that was something that we had predicted early on just because there's enough studies by social scientists, et cetera, that, that talk and think about the power and the impact of groups being physically together and how when you're physically together, you're more visible. And when you're more visible, you may be rated differently because of even, you know, frankly, like an unconscious bias type situation where someone's thinking um, of someone else top of mind before, you know, the other person. And when we were all remote all the time, there, it was an even playing field. As people, though, are starting to come back or they come back in waves or you have voluntary return to work, is there going to be an impact on those people who volunteer first to come back to work? Are they going to feel pressure if their boss goes back to work? And this is um, certainly one to watch going forward and something that, that companies should be cognizant and aware of. Um, we have seen Companies, again, using surveys, how is the workforce feeling, what are their thoughts, talking to the managers, providing manager training on this particular issue, just so people are aware of it at the outset. And and now, as we're getting um, into, for many companies, it's kind of the performance review cycle. We've definitely seen some of um, our clients that are maybe a little bit more forward thinking, using it in op- as an opportunity to retrain managers on, first of all, what's happening within your organization? How many touch points do you have on a regular basis with the folks on your team? Um, Have those dialogues and use that to inform some of these performance evaluations. I think that's been a really interesting one that we've seen just starting in the fall. Let's talk for a minute about parents. And we were talking before the podcast about the, the struggle that is real of kids returning or not returning to school. I mean, we've seen kids across the world either back in the classroom permanently, they're learning remotely, or they have some kind of a hybrid schedule. What rights do parents have? And are there guidelines that companies have to follow to allow that flexibility for parents and carers? Yeah, I think it's been really challenging for parents um, in particular, because they're managing children at home or children who may be at school or whose schools are then closing again. So actually, we've had this kind of yo-yo effect in many parts of the world where, you know, everything was locked down, everyone was home. It was difficult, but everyone sort of knew where they stood. And then there was gradual reopening and employers being encouraged to get their employees back to work, but maybe schools or kindergartens didn't catch up and were still closed, which was a real pinch point. Or actually schools perhaps did open up and everyone was fine for a bit, but then schools closed again, um, or the workplace closed. Uh, And so actually there has been a real yo-yo for employees in trying to manage that. In some parts of the world, there are particular leaves that um, employees can benefit from if they've got to look after their children. My experience has been that employers have been relatively flexible. So speaking to the clients that we have, I think they've been understanding about the challenges that um, many employees are facing when they've got children at home, um, whether permanently or going you know, in and out of their childcare setting. But it's been a real challenge. And there's been recent studies um, where they've been looking at how parents in particular have found it so challenging trying to manage the balance that in fact increasing numbers of them are thinking about leaving the workplace. And there was a recent McKinsey study on exactly this. And I think that the statistic was one in three mothers um, were considering leaving the workplace or downgrading their career just because of the challenges that COVID had brought into sharp relief. 
as Kim said in that study, the other thing that is the reverse of that is we all know in the HR space, that's how you engender loyalty with your employees, is you recognize the challenges that they're going through. You adjust to the extent that you can in a way that allows the business to operate appropriately and responsibly. Definitely, I would encourage folks to just think about it differently um, and to really work with managers and employees to understand that this can be a very positive thing if approached in a positive manner. Now, we touched on this earlier, but we are in the midst of seeing the second wave hit many countries, Europe and the UK, certainly pulling back on people returning to work due to a rise in cases. Kim, do you think we moved too fast? I mean, everyone was so keen to get their playbook ready and welcome employees back to work, providing COVID-friendly packs on their desks. I mean, should we have kept the brakes on just a little bit longer? Well, that's a, a big question. I think only the scientists will be able to tell us in years to come. Look, the reality is that employers have been put in a really difficult position, haven't they? Um, with constantly changing rules, trying to look after their people, keep the business going, all of this against a background of government pressure in many locations or regulatory pressure in some industries to get people back into the workplace. I mean, we also mustn't forget that the result of prolonged lockdown in many sectors is job losses. There are lots of roles that can't be done remotely. Um, and so organisations have also been trying hard to avoid or mitigate job losses as well. So I think that employers have been put in a really difficult position here. And I think we'll just have to leave it to hindsight and the, uh, you know, the oracles of history to tell us whether we did move too fast or not. As we've talked about, companies have really been forced to adapt quite quickly to this non-traditional workforce. And Susan, you co-wrote a piece um, called The Five Steps for Transitioning to a Remote Workforce. And there were some interesting takeaways in that article, one of which was that CEOs of the 2020 Fortune 500 list had reported that one of the single most important things the crisis taught them is that working from home works. Do you think we're witnessing a real fundamental sea change in the future of work? I do. Whether it is going to be prolonged or not, I like Kim's phrase, we'll leave that to hindsight and figure it out um, later on down the road. I think um, that, that that comment and that statistic, like so many things, was true in the moment. So you do a survey, you ask, and the CEOs think, wow, we were scared to death that this was not gonna work. We did the things that we were supposed to do. We shut down, we kept our workforce safe. We may have invested in new technology um, and spent money we weren't really intending to spend in this fiscal year um, in order to encourage folks to work. And we're seeing increased productivity but then you have to ask yourself, well, at what cost? What does increased productivity really mean? Does it mean that people are working around the clock because that laptop is always open? And will there be burnout? All of these things that I think could end up manifesting. But then again, you look at things like, well, but if we are um, opening in waves, if schools are opening even as for a few days and then shutting down, then is it really going to be that bad? Maybe we really will have learned how to work differently. And for some folks, they might be able to make that work and the companies might be more um, able to adapt and to allow that. So I, I do think time will tell. Um, I think the productivity is... Um, 
it's interesting because it definitely feels like people are more productive, but you worry about them being exhausted at the same time and how long can that continue. So it'll be interesting to watch those statistics and see if they evolve and change. And then as we all know, you know, there's things aren't normative, right? So there'll be other inputs that will impact those stats. But I think that'll be a really interesting one to watch for sure. I just wanted to pick up on um that actually and and follow on from what Susan was saying it's just interesting about the productivity I I got the sense that you know anecdotally there was a boost after people went into um, lockdown and now everyone's six months in largely um, and I feel as though that is waning but just very interestingly I was reading um, an article the other day and it was all about the rise in productivity monitoring tools so employers looking to roll out productivity monitoring tools And I can't help thinking that actually, is there therefore a sense that, you know, productivity is on the wane and therefore employers want to be able to really track what people are doing. There's a whole host of data privacy issues with that in many parts of the world, depending on what exactly these tools do. But I just thought it was very interesting that there has been a real boon in these remote productivity tools that organizations are looking at. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. And let's specifically talk about boundaries or or lack thereof and how that might affect productivity and mental health. I mean, I know I emailed you both on a Sunday um, because boundaries have shifted. Um, Most people are working from home. It's hard for them to step away from their laptops. It's also really difficult for companies to set boundaries and make sure that everyone's getting the breaks they need, um, not only in a productivity issue, but just for their own mental health and well-being. I mean, Kim, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think companies do need to really start thinking about how to attract and retain their workers in this environment. I mean, they need to start thinking about how their work days work in general. So, for example, do they have um, an organisation where people are always on, people are always at their laptops or feel like they should be at their laptop? Should we be um, thinking about giving people permission or setting clear guidelines about what the expectations and those boundaries are to help people. Because you can understand it if your boss emails you at nine o'clock at night, you're thinking, oh gosh, well, I better reply as well to demonstrate that I'm really keen and on it. Particularly as we're in this time of, you know, economic uncertainty. And so people are also worried about their jobs, which I think is just adding to the mental load. Some organisations are really taking a look at that, but also thinking about, okay, well, can we be creative in how we now manage our work days or our leaves? So, for example, can we think about giving people time off in increments of, you know, a couple of hours rather than a half day? So really thinking through in an innovative way about actually how can we help people manage their time? I mean, I think there's sort of an awareness as well of the potential legal impact of not, you know, making sure that those boundaries are in place. So thinking about, you know, a wave of class actions that could be out there. And that's probably going to feel less about mental health and more about wage and hour type claims. And I'll I'll sort of defer to Susan more on that for the US. Certainly in the rest of the world, people don't really track their vacation or certainly not their working time. And that's always been something that organisations have really struggled with and been rubbish at generally. I think really a light has been shone on this. And I think, you know, people and labour inspectors around the world are going to be focused on this. And so I think organisations are really going to have to take this seriously as they look into, you know, prolonged periods of people working remotely. Now, Susan, we we touched on this last time, um, but I'd love to revisit this because I think it's a key 
to a success um, in the long term, and that is communication and employee engagement as companies navigate through all of these issues that we've spoken about. I mean, if employees weren't front and center of management's mind, they certainly are now. And what have you seen clients do to ensure they maintain their culture and that everyone stays engaged throughout this? It's a really good question. And I feel like I've been peppering my answer to that question. And as we've been talking today, because so much of it is um, tied to communication, I'd say, again, the surveys have almost become commonplace. Um, but, you know, I think that's actually a good thing. And I have to say, I think they're a useful tool. And I do think it's a way for people to feel like they're being um, reached out to, even if they decide not to answer, then then you have to worry about, well, how do we get people to respond to the surveys? So those seem to be happening quite frequently and are a pretty good tool to use. Um, working with managers to really understand and how to manage groups of people remotely. So we've seen an increase in online training and learning for managers that are directed exactly you know, at that target to say, we don't expect that you're naturally going to know how to manage people remotely. This is a new thing. So let's have some training and some learning on how to do that. And we've seen, um, even in our own organization, quite a a good uptake in that because people want to know. They want to know how to do it right. And so that's been an an interesting um, one. And then Oh my gosh. I mean, I think, you know, whether it's Zoom or Teams or Google Hangouts or, you know, pick your method of some kind of visual communication, people have definitely gotten a lot more comfortable with that because it sort of has become a necessity. In terms of the company culture, you know, it's interesting because on top of COVID, you have a lot of companies that have decided that remote work is the wave of the future and that they will be remote working permanently. That's this whole next wave, which I think will continue. And that that will be impacting the workforce, I think, for years to come. That is then in turn requiring companies to think about what does culture mean to us because they may have made a decision. This isn't short term. This is long term and we will be operating remote workforces. So I think that will be really interesting to watch as well as that develops. And what about those that are just joining the workforce? What does this new way of working mean for the younger generation? And what are you seeing companies doing to ensure that this new generation of the workforce isn't really missing out on key learning opportunities when they're working from home and not surrounded by their peers at work? Kim, can I start with you? It has been a bit of a challenge, hasn't it? So how do you onboard and engage people right at the beginning? And how do you give them that hands-on learning experience when they're remote and maybe sitting in their bedroom at home? Um, And the only time they get to see you is when they kind of make the effort to kind of say, can I bother you because I just want to ask this question? And they don't have that opportunity to have the osmosis of just sitting in an organisation and picking up their culture, picking up who's who, lots of that kind of practical on-the-job experience. I don't think at the moment any organisation has got the silver bullet for that. And I think it's something that is, again, kind of going back to one of Susan's phrases, you know, it's going to be iterative as they work out, okay, what the gaps are and then put in a programme to try and address it. So I think lots of the effort at the moment has been very much on the induction and then thinking about support mechanisms as people go through. But I think there's a lot more that organisations can do. And I'd be really keen to hear from Susan if she's seen anything that's been put in place in the clients that she's been working with as well or whether you know mentoring programs or coaching are, are going to be the way of the future 
so exactly that, Kim, I'd say what where I've seen an uptick are clients that already have mentoring, coaching, champion type programs in place for their workforce, broadening those. So historically, a lot of those programs are developed for what you might call high performers or people that reach a certain point in their career and you say, wow, you know, we're going to invest extra time, effort, energy in this person, whether it's through mentors within the organization or external coaching and training and help. And what we've seen is companies that are really thinking ahead, broadening the availability and broadening their mentoring, training, coaching framework to encap slate and capture more people in the organization. Um, So almost like a flattening of that opportunity, if you will. The other kind of, I was going to say silly things, but they're highly effective is you know, if folks happen to be in a part of the country where you can interact in person or a part of the world, really encouraging them to do that safely, um, whether they're going for walks or um, just meeting up to meet someone, particularly if someone joined an organization in the middle of COVID and they've never literally seen anyone face to face, even having that one single point of contact where they've now met one person face to face, even if it was socially distant with a mask on um, and having a walk and talking about the company, we've seen and heard about more of that happening as well. The other one that's been interesting is doing Zoom meetings but having a meal. And I know, Kim, we've talked about this before, whether it's wine tasting or making coffee or learning to be a mixologist. So uh, just a few little things that we're seeing at the moment. Lots of creative ways to, to stay connected. I mean, it's been really interesting to watch how these various scenarios are playing out and continue to play out. Um, as every employer just really creates and reimagines their reopening playbook. So my final crystal ball question I always like to end with, um, what do you think the long-term implications will be on the future of work? Susan? Yes. Um, First of all, I think for many people, if they weren't previously comfortable with the technology of interacting remotely, they probably are now. I think using video chats as a way to communicate will be more common in the workplace and not to totally date myself, but not just something that your kids do all the time. Um, And I think rather than picking up the phone or setting up a call with a dial-in, the more natural reaction is gonna be to set up a meeting where you can visually see somebody. So I think that's one thing. Um, The second thing I would say is I do think companies will become much more flexible with thinking about how people work and enabling people to work differently in the future so that you may have entire parts of an organization that are permanently remote or that are on schedules where they're maybe only in the office a couple days a week if if the business allows for something like that. Great. Kim? So Susan stole my line because I was going to say flexibility as well. So so I think that there will be, you know, a real change in the offering that employers give their employees, I don't think it will be the nine to five, five days a week in the office anymore. It's going to be, you can work remotely. Um, you may be able to work from anywhere in the world. It may be anywhere within the same country. Um, you may come to the office, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever days a week. The time that you work in the office, that might be flexible as well. It may be adjusted to deal with time zones because you're collaborating across different teams in different jurisdictions. 
But I don't think it will be the end of the workplace. I still see that there is going to be a space for social interaction, collaboration, creativity for employees to all come together that encapsulates an organisation's culture. Um, That said, I do think there's going to be a real rise in remote working, as Susan has said. And if anyone is asking, um, I'm just going to say right now that I'm happy to go and work in the Caribbean. (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) I'll come with you. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) All right. Thank you both. Thanks for coming back and giving us this information. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. For those listening, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send any comments or questions to 3rpodcast at bakermckenzie.com. That's the number three, the letter R, podcast at bakermckenzie.com. Or contact us through the Baker McKenzie social media accounts. Use the hashtag Resilience Recovery Renewal. More information on this topic is also available on our website at bakermckenzie.com.